God is good. Amen. Mm. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. If God does not give us Himself, then He is not giving us the best thing He has. I was having a conversation with Robert Washington one time, and Robert goes, we got to believe so that we can get God's blessings. And I said, hold up now, we're not talking about earthly blessings. And he goes, I didn't say earthly blessings. And I was like, amen. We have to remember that the blessings we want, God wants to give us everything. And he gives us everything when he gives us his son. There are a lot of people who, when they ask things from God, they don't want God, they want the things that God can give them. And if we're pushing God out of the way so that we can get those things, then we're missing the most valuable and infinitely worthy things that he has. As I said last week, Genesis 1-11 through 11 is a rough stretch. Some of y'all might be going, man, I hope the preacher's got more than this because he's been talking about sin for the last month. Um, we got the fall of Adam in Genesis 3. We've got Cain murdering Abel in Genesis 4. We've got the earth being completely corrupt and flooded in Genesis 6. Now, just in case you were getting a little excited and going, ooh, we got Noah. Well, Noah gets drunk and passes out in a tent in the end of Genesis 9. And, of course, we have the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And uh, if I'm Moses, and by the way, Moses is the author of uh, the first five books of the Bible. If I'm Moses, I'm going, wow, it's a lot of bad stuff. When did you start doing good things? If I had to summarize the first 11 chapters of the Bible, this is how I would summarize it right here. Sinners rebel against God. God judges sinners. God saves sinners. That's it. And it's very simple. Those, that's how I would sum up the first 11 chapters of the Bible. Man keeps rebelling against God. God keeps judging the sin and God keeps showing mercy. This is a pattern that develops throughout the entire Bible. In fact, you could make the contention that that's the primary theme of the Bible. One scholar thinks so. Jim Hamilton in the Southern Baptist Seminary says, The glory of God in salvation through judgment is the center of theology. Man sins. God judges sin. God saves a remnant. Man sins. God judges sin. God saves a remnant. Man sins, God judges sin, God saves his people. This happens over and over and over and over in the Bible. In fact, we can't get around this at all. If anyone does, I think I've often heard a lot of people go, why are you guys talking about judgment all the time? It's because we're people of the book. God's word talks about judgment consistently, but that, that theme of judgment turns people off today. But we've got to understand that God wants judgment to be one of the central themes of the Bible. When God judges sin, He shows His holiness. He's completely set apart from us. He is completely different. God is morally pure. When He judges sin, He shows His righteousness. God will always do what is right, regardless of what other people think. God shows His goodness. God will never let sin go unpunished. When we ask God to stop talking about sin, when we ask God to stop pointing to our sin, we're asking God to be someone other than Himself. One of the greatest quotes in church history, and I mean this, I say that a lot, but this one I love. One of the greatest church history quotes is by a guy named Richard Niebuhr. Raise your hand if you've heard of Richard Niebuhr. Anybody? Okay. 
Somebody asked Richard Niebuhr to define liberalism. They said, what is liberalism? Everybody throws that term around. What is theological liberalism? This is what he says. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. That's liberalism. I love that. I mean, I hate it, but I love the term. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through administrations of a Christ without a cross. In other words, if you want to identify a church that has abandoned the true message of the gospel, find a church that doesn't talk about wrath, sin, judgment, or the cross. And of course, we know all these things accentuate and emphasize the love and the mercy of God in the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, here it is. Jesus absorbed our wrath. Jesus paid for our sin, took our judgment. Jesus hung on our cross. Why? Because of his great love. That's the great news of the Bible right there. That's the reason we come to church. That's the reason people are saved. That's the reason we keep preaching the very message that hasn't changed for 2,000 years. That's why Jesus came If we leave out judgment, we leave out grace. If we leave out grace, we leave the gospel out. But God's rescue plan to save humanity begins in earnest in Genesis chapter 12. God begins his recovery effort, if you will, in Genesis 12. And that's what I'm going to read this morning. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, verse 27... We're going to start a little bit at the end of chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, and then we're going to go all the way to the ninth verse in chapter 12. If you found it, good. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have it up on the screen. Nevertheless, stand for the reading of God's Word, if you may. And the Holy Spirit, through Moses, says... Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram, Abram's wife was Sarah, Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. I've been working on these names. (laughs) Now the Lord said to Abram, verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Merah, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray. 
Father, we need your Holy Spirit this morning. We need his presence. We need his power so that we can have our eyes opened to what you've been doing since Abraham. Father, show us your grand rescue plan this morning and how everyone who is in Christ is a part of that plan. Father, show us the glory of Jesus Christ. Show us your beauty. Show us your majesty. Show us your power. Show us your kindness. Show us your love. Father, through the story of Abram this morning in Genesis chapter 12, let us come away with a greater appreciation for the glory of your grace in Christ. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen. You know, what's interesting in this passage is not just what God tells Abram, but what he doesn't tell Abram. He leaves out a lot. He tells him to leave his country, but he doesn't tell him, at least at first, the final destination. Even though Sarah, who is his half-sister actually, is barren, God tells him that somehow he's going to make a great nation out of him, but he doesn't tell him how. That's a big one to leave out. When they arrive in Canaan, God says that he will give his offspring the land, but he doesn't ever really give him an idea of how that was going to happen. Abram is a powerful and wealthy man, by the way. He has a lot of cattle, has a lot of servants, has a lot of money. But God leaves out a lot. God's making some heavy promises and not a lot of detail. But Abram believes God anyway because it's God and God's promises are enough and that is the essence of faith. When we're trying to define what faith is, I get a lot of people ask me that a lot of times. What is faith? Well, the first person you should probably point them to is Abraham or Abram at this point in Genesis chapter 12. Faith isn't choosing to believe God when you've got some corroborating evidence. It's choosing to believe God's word because you know who's making the promise. John Calvin has a fantastic little quote. He says this, For it is certain that faith cannot stand unless it be founded on the promises of God. Raise your hand if you have an an open Saturday where you're not doing anything and you need need to know ahead of time how you're going to fill that day. Raise your hand. Maybe that's it. When Kelly and I get up, I knew you, Franklin. You need to just close. I I knew that was you. When Kelly and I get up and we have a free Saturday, I'm the one who says, hey, what are we going to do today? Kelly's the one be like, oh, I don't know. I'm hungry. And I'll be like, ah, I know, but what are we going to do? I need something on the schedule. I need something on the plan. That's me. But when God asks us to follow him, when we want plans, God doesn't always give us the rest of the schedule. When he asks us to commit ourselves to our local body, when he asks us to shepherd families, when he asks us to evangelize the lost, when, it asks, when he asks us to become disciples of Jesus Christ, he doesn't always give us the final destination, which means that if you follow Jesus, there is no guarantee that you'll live in the same city, have the same job, have the same family, and have the same friends. Now, we want those things, but when we insist upon those things... Before following Jesus, we're saying, Jesus, you're in Shark Tank. Show me what you can give me, or I'm not going to invest in you. And God flips the script and says, no, 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 no. You're going to go to the land that I will, what? Show you. I will show you. We won't give our money. We won't give our time. We won't give our investment. Sometimes until God can show me something. God says, I've shown you everything. They're standing right here. 
Faith says, my family, my livelihood, my bank account, and my friends are all subject to God's promises. Now let's just read verse 1. Very simple. Verse 1. Very famous. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that what? I will show you. It's not just about leaving his home. It's about leaving his dad's legacy. It's about leaving everything he's ever known. God is asking everything from Abram, and Abram says, okay. In ancient Near Eastern culture, we're not just talking about living on your dad's property. We're talking about your people group. We're talking about your occupation. We're talking about your community. Everything you have, and God says, go. Leave. I want everybody to hear this this morning because it applies equally to everybody in this room. There may be a very good reason that God has not answered your prayers. There may be a very good reason that God has not answered your job question. There may be a very good reason that God hasn't answered your health problem. There may be a very good reason God hasn't resolved your financial situation. There may be a very good reason God hasn't shown you which direction you should take even though you've asked Him a hundred times. And it's not because you don't have faith. It's so that you will have faith. It's not because God's punishing you. It's because God is being kind to you. It's not so that you can not get what you want. It's so that He can get the glory. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, says this, Trials no less than comforts are tokens of His love. Unknown circumstances are often God's way of ensuring that you're trusting Him and not yourself. I, if I look back at my life, I have never chosen willingly to follow God unless God gave me one of these and pushed me out. And we don't see that with Abram. We do see that with Moses. Moses had plenty to say. I don't know about that. I've been oftentimes more like Moses than I've been Abram. I, uh, I don't talk good. You should get somebody else. Let me think about that. Meanwhile, going, I'm not going to do that. It was always God, and it always is God, showing me a new way and going, go. And my flesh says, eh, I've never been there before. And then God says, I will show you the way. Here's another quote by John Calvin. This morning. For it is far better with closed eyes to follow God as our guide by relying on our own prudence to wander through those circuitous paths which it devises for us. I can count at least five or six things right now in my life I'm following God with closed eyes. Five or six things, I think. I'm following God right now. I mean, I'm following Him with my life. But if I, if I try to count the circumstances and the situations and the issues that I've got going on in my life, there are about five or six things right now that I'm going to Him hardcore with prayer every single day, giving myself, giving over to prayer, asking God to show me what His will is to make it clear. There are about five or six big things in my life right now that I know not one thing is going to get done unless I go and ask Him and I ask again and I ask Him to solve something. I ask Him to show me something. There are about five or six things right now in my life I know that nothing will get done unless it is done by the power of God. And I have to labor in prayer. Because I know that trials produce prayer, uncertainty produces prayer, unknowns. I don't pray, I pray more in trial than I do at the beach. I just do. 
Some of y'all are like, oh, actually, I like to pray at the beach. Well, good for you. Prayer is how we know where our trust lies. And of those five or six things that I'm given over to, and, and that's in addition to praying for all of you. That's in addition to praying for the easy stuff. Praying for two little twins over there. Praying for my wife. Praying for That's the stuff I pray for every day. I'm talking about stuff that I'm just on, I'm on my knees just saying, God, please show me. And you know what the truth is? God may only answer one of those prayers. God may only answer one or two. Maybe none of those are eternally important. Maybe he hasn't answered it because he knows that I haven't given myself over completely to trusting him yet. Until I trust him fully and I believe like Abram and say, I will go, you will show me. The heart of Abram is what God wants every single time we go to him in prayer. It's not a, hey, I'm getting ready to go to bed. Come on. And I do this a lot, and I know you guys do too. Your head will hit the pillow and go, God, I love you so much, and I love you, and protect my blah, blah, And let me, let me be clear. Bedside and pillow side prayers are not inauthentic. Keep praying in your bed. Keep praying like me after you get coffee in the morning. But pray when it's inconvenient. Set your phones to pray. Get with people and pray. Have times to schedule your prayer. And you know what I think the Satan does a lot of times? He goes, no, 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 no. No, don't do that because that makes it fake. Let me tell you, every time I'm talking to God in Christ, as one of His saints in faith, it is not robotic. It doesn't matter if my iPhone told me to do it or not. You know what's interesting about faith, looking back, is that I often didn't sound like Abram in many times in my life when God told me to do something, God showed me something. It was compelling upon my conscience and my soul to go in faith and to just trust God in, in, in an aspect of my life. I didn't do what Abram did and go. I kind of mm, hesitated and God had to push me out. But what's, what's weird is looking back, those are some of the sweetest memories I have. Being in dark times, being in uncertain places, having circumstances in my life I didn't want to be in. Now I look back today at God's providence, I have sweet friendships and sweet sanctification, sweet memories that God made in dark times of my life. Where God was saying, go to the land I will show you. Kelly and I were looking at old pictures the other day. Kelly saw a picture of Louisiana. And a house, our house was flooded in Louisiana, and she saw that house. I know my wife has bad memories of that house. I just do. And Kelly was looking through. It might have been a, a moment of nostalgia, but she was looking through, and she goes, Oh, man, I just, I just I miss that place. And she moved on and went, eh, Hold on. You hate that place. No, you don't get the nostalgia card. You hated that place. We got flooded. She goes, and then she goes, yeah, I know, but we just, there was so much there. Praying for our babies, our babies coming home, trusting God when the floodwaters came in and we had nothing. There were so much sweet memories, so much of God's power was sanctifying us. So many times when we had nothing and we, all we had was God, we were on our faces and we were trusting in Him. Those make sweet memories for the Christian. And they make for good, solid, true spiritual growth. 
Oh, how I thank God for the times when I did not understand, know, or see. You know, that's why Galatians chapter 3 verse 9 calls Abraham the man of faith. Chapter 3 verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Did you notice that God is doing the exact opposite with Abraham as He's doing with Babel in Genesis 11? Why did God confuse the people at Babel? What were they trying to do? They were trying to what? Make a name for themselves. Look at what he does with Abram in verse 2. Here he goes. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will what? Make your name great. What's the difference? What's the difference between Babel and Abram? Well, here it is. Abram lets God do the name making. Abram lets God do the recognizing. God does the building. God does the blessing. Abraham does nothing for himself but trust in God. And it's all by grace. God chose Abraham. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I, 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 I. Follow me. There's a lot of eyes in there. God is taking Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans all the way to Canaan. Here's something to think about. God chose Abraham. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, was from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was a Gentile who was made a Jew by faith. And of course, Paul picks up that argument in Galatians chapter 3 and Romans 4. The point is not to look at Abram, Abram and go, man, he was such an awesome guy. The point is to look at Abram and go, man, God is an awesome God. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's like as if you were the really uncool kid in high school, and then the really cool kid came and was like, I'm going to be your best friend. We're going to be cool. And anybody who's picking on you, well, then I'll pick on them. That's what's happening. God looks at Uni Abram and says, we're going to be on the same team now. People who have a beef with you, I will have a beef with them. People who are kind to you, I'll be their friend. So here's a question. How does God bless all the nations of the earth through Abraham? That's the big question. We need to know that as Christians today. Well, it gets back to covenant theology. The Jewish people, Abraham's heirs, are given the promises of God, but they don't obey God, do they? They don't fulfill His covenants. They don't keep His commands. The Jews are the what? They're the stiff-necked people, except for one Jew. Who was it? Jesus Christ. So through Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the only obedient Jew, the only righteous offspring of Abraham, God bestows all the blessings and keeps all the promises in Christ. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 3. 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to offspring who is Christ. Jesus' Jewishness is important. The promises are made to the Jews, but only one Jew is obedient and keeps the law. Only one Jew is worthy to open the scroll. Only one Jew is both fully God and fully man. It's the true Israel. I've heard this before. 
And we're going we're gonna to unpack this in the weeks to come. I have heard that some people think that, well, God was doing something here in the Old Testament, and now he kind of changed his mind and did this in the New Testament. It seems like the church replaces Israel. That is not true. God doesn't actually change his, his entire way of doing things. God has always cared about Israel. Who is the true Israel? It's Christ. Here's another way of thinking it. In the true Israel, the blessings of Abraham are given through Christ, the Jewish God-man. In Christ, not in Adam, we find God's eternal blessings. By Christ's obedience and His shed blood, God makes His covenant with His church. And we'll get into this later, but I have a lot of people ask me sometimes, well, what about Jews today? What about the nation of Israel today? Um, A lot of people take... um, the, the Jewish nation receiving land after World War II as, as a fulfillment of God's land promises to Israel. Very compelling evidence, but I don't think that's the fulfillment. I think the fulfillment is Christ. We don't need to get caught up with land promises when we see that all every good and every good perfect and gift that God has to give us is Christ. 2 Corinthians first chapter 1, verse 20 says, the, All the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. So what are the promises today? We've talked a lot about promises of God. What's God promising me? Well, here's just seven off the top of my head. To be sons and daughters of Adam is to have salvation, delivered from your sins, reconciliation and have peace with God, justification, you're declared righteous even when you're not, restoration, we're brought back to God, adoption, we're made sons and daughters of God, sanctification, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and union with Christ, we're given God Himself and His kingdom. All of that is yours in Christ Jesus. Those are the promises that are made to you. John 3.16 is a promise. By faith in Jesus, we are sons and daughters of Abraham. We are part of that great nation that God promises Abraham. He says, I'm going to make a great name. You're going to have great blessings. You're going to have a great people. We are part of that legacy in the church. And all we have to do is take God at His word. I want to end this morning about faith. You can go into any church today and you'll hear a lot about faith. You've got to have faith. You've got to keep the faith. We're people of faith. Here's a, here's a new term that I love. Are they faith-based? That's a good one that gets thrown around today. I don't, I'm not going to give unless they're faith-based. Well, that's good. What is your faith in? Don't, don't just, don't, we, we don't need to succumb to this idea today that just because people throw around the term faith that suddenly they're Christians. There are a lot of unbelievers, especially in the Bible Belt, who can throw around and they can speak Christianese and by the time you're done, you're like, that guy knows his stuff. When all the while, it's not that Abraham has faith, it's who his faith is in. I don't have faith that I don't have faith that I'm not going to die a year from now. I don't have faith that God's going to give me earthly blessings. I don't have faith that God's going to take care of my body. I don't have faith that I'm going to make a lot of money when I grow up. I don't have a lot of faith that God will do anything in this life. Only thing I have faith in is that the promises of God are sure and that whatever happens, God is good, it's for my good, and it's for His glory. That's it. And here's another thing. This isn't even in, the, in my sermon. 
Well, Bobby, what about when he says when you give tithe, God will give you blessings? No, 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 no. You give God his money, and you let God do what is best for God. Knowing in faith that whatever happens to you is for your good. See, we don't want the money. We don't want the material. We don't want anything the world can give us because the things we love are in Christ. My faith is in nothing less than the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. That's it. Therefore, when the Todds are in a really tight financial situation, when someone whose last name is Todd has died, when someone in the church is hurting, when there's an uncertainty with our church and we've got to rally together, our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is not even that God will give us certain things. Our faith is to cry out to God, to ask Him to do things that if it be His will, but our faith is ultimately to come to God with open hands, trusting Him fully, knowing that whatever God decides to do, it is for His glory, and if we are in Christ today, He works all things for the good of His people. That's what our faith is in. Just like Abram, you go, I will show you, and we will believe. If you've never believed in Christ, if you've kind of believed in the gospel before, but you're, you kind of want to add Jesus to your life, get your life out of the way and let Jesus become your life. That's faith. Let's pray. Father, there was only one obedient son of Abraham, and his name was Jesus. And he is seated at the right hand. He is still king. He is the one true and living God. Father, he alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is worthy to be followed. Father, we pray that we all can be like Abram and just believe that you are good and that your promises are sure. Father, you have and will continue to make a great name for Abram. And you, will, you have and will continue to make a great nation out of his offspring. Father, we are that offspring. We are in Christ. We are the church. And Father, it's not because of our ethnicity. It's not because of circumcision. Father, it's because like Abram, we believe in your promises because we believe in the promise keeper. Father... All your promises find their yes in Christ, and it's He that we cling to. And all these things we ask in His name. Amen.